we're going to be reading from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We are in a series, an exciting series, on stewardship. Now, I know that a lot of people, as soon as they hear this word, they think to themselves, stewardship is all about the pastor standing up front trying to help the church pay the bills, right? And he makes his case, the case as best he can, to take your $5 and make it the church's $5. But my friends, what we're going to learn today is that uh, I think by the time I'm done this morning, some of you are going to say to yourselves, you know, money is the easy part of stewardship. Because Jesus has so much to say about what this word, stewardship, or as our version translates it, management is all about. And what we're going to see today is that the management of your time, of your talents, yes, and your treasures, and your testimony, and of God's truth are all a part of the management of your life. And so this is one of my favorite passages that calls... Whoops, this is the wrong PowerPoint, Wes. Wes, you want to go to um, the Buffalo 2014 Stewardship Number 2. I'll wait till you get that up, but I'll read the passage from Luke 12, 42, and 43. And Wes, you can signal me if you can find it and if you have it. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Let's see here. There we go. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Now, in order to understand any text of the Bible, what's the rule? You need to understand it in its context. And a good preacher will take a verse of the Bible, but he'll make sure you understand it in the flow of the text that is before it and what follows it. And so Jesus uh, says this word about the faithful manager, the wise manager, his, the King James Version calls it his steward, and he sets it in the context of two parables. And we're going to have to go back to verse 35 where Jesus, in this context, he gives a promise, a beautiful promise, and he issues a warning. Then he gives us this verse, and he gives another beautiful promise and another rather terrible warning. So, what do we find? There's this wonderful promise just a few verses earlier where Jesus is mobilizing his, his disciples and getting them ready and active and watchful for his coming. And we read, He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself 
for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. And what Jesus is doing here, set the context, is he is saying that the Son of Man, who is that? That is the Messiah, is coming. And you and I should be alert and awake and prepared for when he comes. And when he comes, he he says something that is extraordinary. If you're not paying attention, pay attention now. When the Messiah comes, he will serve who? Us. Now, wait a minute. I thought the servants of the Master serve the Master, which we do. But we are told that on that great day when he ushers us, ushers us, it says in the book of Revelation, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, who is going to be the servant? Who is going to be the one who welcomes and feeds and cares for us all? He will. And I don't know if you can get your mind around this. It's like being invited to Gracie Mansion, down to mayor's, the mayor's mansion, and uh, Mayor Bloomberg, we'll choose him for right now, and Mayor Bloomberg putting on the apron. And him, he cleans the house and he gets it ready and he makes your seat. So it's like being invited to the White House and the president serves you at this glorious... It's like being invited to Buckingham Palace. And who's the cook? The Queen of England is the cook. And she welcomes you and cares for you. Bible says that it will be the delight of Jesus Christ, whom you have served in this life, it will be His delight to minister to you and to serve you and to bless you on that day. What a wonderful promise. This is indescribable uh, love being revealed to us now. But then, he gives a warning. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And this was true of the first coming of the Messiah. When Jesus came, they missed him. He was just this poor carpenter. They, they were not ready. They were not prepared for this righteous Lamb of God. But it is also true, we are told in the New Testament, that Jesus will come like a what? Like a thief in the night. And it will be a surprise. And my, my own view of the end days uh, is one I think is biblical, and that view is that we do not know when Jesus is coming again. It might be today. And it might be a thousand years from today. We don't know. But we are to live as though it is today, to be prepared. And Jesus is moving his disciples, he's moving us out of a kind of a passive twiddling of our thumbs to an aggressive preparation for the return of the Master. Now, Peter then asks a question. Verse 41, Lord, 
Are you telling this parable for us or for all? And Jesus does not directly answer Peter's question, which is like Jesus so often. But all the commentators agree that he is saying indirectly, oh, why, it's to all. And down in verse 48, Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. To all who have been given much, these are the ones to whom he is speaking. And that is his disciples. That's you, that's me, we who have received the glorious grace and kindness of God in our lives. And so this transitions us into point two because the text begins now with another answer, another parable that follows right on the heels of Peter's question. And we read our text for today, okay? We've got the context. The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? If you grew up on the King James Bible, it talks about the steward The English Standard Version translates it as manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. And now here's another promise. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And what this promise is saying is that when you get to heaven you get a promotion. Won't that be nice? You don't just have a teaching job in the department. You become chairman of the department. You're not just some lowly junior associate. You made partner. You're no longer in double-A independent league baseball. According to Jesus, when you get to heaven, you are going to be so blessed. You will be, it's like getting the call from the general manager, welcome to the major leagues, pack your bags, you're coming to the Yankees. And this manager, it's an interesting interesting word. The The word in the Greek language is oikonomos. Oikonomos, there are two Greek words put together. Oikos means house. Nomos means rule or law. And so the oikonomos is the manager or the ruler of the household. And what you know in the ancient world is that if you had a lot of resources, you would hire somebody to manage your resources for you, and that person historically was called the steward or the manager. Now, managers are important. I just want to say this. I know, I know. Those of you in the business world, uh, you know, we all, we hear about the glamorous uh, ideas of leadership. And leaders, what do leaders do? Leaders come and leaders cast the vision for the corporation or for the institution. And the leaders uh, generate enthusiasm for the corporation or the institution. And leaders paint a picture of the strategic planning for the corporation or the institution. But if that's all you got, you got nothing. Who takes the vision and puts feet on it? 
and makes it happen. It's the managers. It's those people who have now the responsibility to oversee with planning and organization and delegation and accountability and communication and timelines and goals and the ability to move people through to the desired ends. And those are the economos. Those are the managers. Okay? Do you understand? These are, these are the crucial, important people. R.C. Sproul makes an interesting observation in his comments on this when he says, this idea of management began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Think about it for a moment. He says, do you remember where God gave Adam and Eve full dominion over the entire creation? Were they given ownership of the garden? No. They weren't given. They didn't own it. What were they given? Adam and Eve were given the responsibility of managing it. And so, uh, uh, Adam, plan uh, the planting of the crops and plan the harvest of the crops and the tending of the trees and the gathering of the harvest and nothing is to be spoiled or nothing is to be wasted. And he had the, man, the responsibility for managing, allocating the resources, and that's what it is for us. Now Jesus is talking about his disciples who have the responsibility of managing what he has given them on loan from God. And he gives this beautiful promise, right? Blessed are you. You get the promotion. But then he gives a warning. If that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And he ends that line, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Oh my. So this is the point in the sermon where you gulp and you say, oh preacher, I guess this means I need to get my act together. Oh, I gotta, I gotta pull up my own bootstraps and 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 just and 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 figure out how I'm gonna manage everything in my life, right? And and all these virtues, you know, you a, a, a manager must be dependable. A manager must be organized. A manager must be honest. A manager, a manager must be humble. A manager must be efficient. A manager must be effective. A manager has to have lists and know everything to do. I've got to get my act together. Is that what you're telling me, Pastor John? And if that's what you hear all of a sudden, you make a catastrophic mistake. You even make a soul-destroying mistake. Why is that? Because all of a sudden, 
Your whole life is about just proving you're a little bit better than the person sitting next to you. And you, be, you blind yourself to how far short you actually do fall of the glory of God. And as someone reminded me this week, the great preacher William Sloan Coffin used to say, you need to know this. Just remember, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. So point number three in our sermon is very, very, very important. It is only through the gospel of the faithful steward that we become ready to live and manage our lives for that steward. You know, there are a lot of beautiful Old Testament examples of, of, of the good stewards, you know, of the faithful managers. We think of Joseph in Potiphar's house, right? And Joseph was uh, this amazing man who managed the affairs of the entire nation and eventually of the whole known world in order uh, to feed people in the, those years of famine. Good for Joseph. And those of you in that adult class right now studying the book of Daniel, who is there like Daniel? as Daniel is an example for us of someone full of, full of wisdom and who is faithful to the tasks set before him. And then, of course, maybe the best example of the good steward is the Proverbs 31 woman, right? And she's the one who is then put in charge of her household and of there in the town while her husband is off doing his thing in the city gate and this litany of praise that comes to the Proverbs 31 woman. But my friends, my friends, who is the greatest steward and manager of all in the history of the planet? You know, don't you? It's Jesus it's Jesus Christ, and I sometimes wonder if even as he was saying these things, he made the connections in his mind as he speaks about that good steward who gives the people their portion of food, right? That was in our verse. The good steward gives the portion of food. Who is the greatest feeder in the history of the planet? as Jesus is teaching the 5,000, and they are hungry, and they're hanging on His every word, and hours have gone by, and now they're hungry, and He's got five loaves of bread and two fishes, and He feeds the multitude. He feeds the 5,000, then He feeds the 4,000. But of course, we are told ultimately He Himself is the bread of heaven that came down that gives life to the world. And that in His common grace, the psalmist tells us, Jesus feeds the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He is the greatest manager, steward of the goods of this earth that we have ever seen. And it says that He gives, He executes it when? This is interesting. At the proper time. This guy's a good manager. He distributes the food, but it's also at the proper time time and how often do you read through the New Testament and you hear Jesus say things like, my time has not yet come. It was not yet time to go up to Jerusalem. He had this sense of timing and destiny. And when he prays in that high priestly prayer in the upper room, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. 
And when he is dead in the tomb for three days, he will fulfill his own prophecy that on the third day, the Son of Man will rise from the dead. And what happens? Right on schedule, at the proper time, he bursts from the tomb, alive forever, our Savior raised from the dead at the proper time. And who is it who is the steward of the wealth, the keeper of the checkbook, the one who distributes the gold and the silver? Who is it? that gives, the, we are told in Ephesians 1.7, all the riches in the heavenly places are given to us. By whom? By Jesus Christ. And as this steward, in, in this very verse Jesus gives us, as this steward takes care of the household, takes care of the children and the other servants, I ask you, does Jesus Christ take care of his people? of his church. Do you remember what he says in that priestly prayer? He says, Father, of all those you have given to me, not one of them has been lost. He cares for his own and holds them dear to his heart. And no one can snatch them. No one can snatch them out of his hand. Oh, my friends, stewardship, management, is actually kingly activity. If you if you're, uh, have the responsibility of managing affairs in your corporation or your school or your household, it is kingly activity as opposed to priestly work or opposed to prophet's work. It's kingly activity overseeing the affairs that the King of Kings has delegated to you. And Jesus Christ has done it perfectly. We call this, listen carefully, we call this his active obedience. Some of the people, they were lazy, they were cruel, right? You know, they, they, they beat up on people, they are self-indulgent and get drunk, and, 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 but not Jesus. Jesus is perfect in every way. We call that his active obedience, right? He lived the life we should have lived. And then he takes upon himself the punishment that we deserve. And he dies the death that we deserve to die. And he was, as it were, cut in pieces. He was certainly cast out into the place of the unbelievers. Right there on Golgotha, on the smoking refuse heap, he hung on the cross and the wrath of God cut him off for you and you and for me. And since he has done that for you, then you can say with what we quote, we did it last week in the Heidelberg Catechism question one, we say that we are not just living for ourselves. I live not for myself, but for my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And as a result, it's not just that you take out your wallet and you give a couple of bucks to pay God back. Is that what stewardship of your life is now? It's not. It's that you now present all that you know yourself to be to him. And what uh, my friend Steve Anderson calls the, the six T's of stewardship. 
are for you. What do you offer when you say, Here am I, all of me. Take my life. It's all for thee. It means your time. And for a lot of you, that's more precious than your money. Money you got plenty of. Time. Time is tick-tock ticking away in your life. And you just don't feel like you have enough. But the fact of the matter is, you have just as much time as anyone else does. 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. And God knows that. We are told in Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. And Peter, not just Paul, but Peter, if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Those of you who know a little bit about the history of Major League Baseball know of a man named Connie Mack. Connie Mack was a great baseball manager, but he didn't start out a good manager. In fact, his teams lost badly his first three years. So you know what Connie Mack did? Connie Mack demoted himself to the minor leagues. Did you know that? He demoted himself to the minor leagues, and he said, this is where I've got to learn how to manage a baseball team. And then you know what he did? He promoted, him. <laughs> he promoted himself back up to the major leagues and became one of the greatest baseball managers in the history of the game. And what he said, I learned in the minor leagues, is I learned to live in the present and prepare for the future and not let the past haunt me. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? He said, you know, you can't grind flour from the water that's already gone down the stream. And I like that. See, the the New Testament says, forgetting what lays behind, I press on, I press forward to the high calling in Christ Jesus. You have regrets? I have regrets. Oh, do I have regrets? Do you have regrets? But now the time that you have is today's time. And like Connie Mack, he says, and I'm preparing for the victories of tomorrow. Okay? Your time. If you've never thought about stewardship of time, today God might be saying to you, Give me your time. And then your talents. And um, ah, we've had a whole series on that this summer. So I'm not going to reiterate other than to say, look, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And I will only echo the cry that says you need to discover your gifts and develop your gifts, but then please, please, not for me, but for the... For the Lord who's coming, for the Son of Man who's coming, deploy your spiritual gifts. Use them in the kingdom of God. Make a difference in this world. Use them, your talents. And then, of course, there is your treasure. And we're in a stewardship series, aren't we? So, the the, the clear application comes to us in 1 Timothy 6. Listen carefully. 1 Timothy 6. It's in the back of your sermon outline. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, 
be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And the direct application is we've given all of you a packet, right, of what we're hoping to do over the next three years. And for the next three years, we're on an adventure together to strengthen the DNA of our church's ministry and to renovate our facilities here. And I hope that you've had the opportunity to read through the packet that we put in your hands. And, and now it falls to you to look at this little trifold brochure that was in that packet that says how to make your pledge commitment. This is something we all have to do together. Nobody's going to do it for us. And we're going to sacrifice of our treasures for the Lord. Whether your ability is great or your ability is small, when the judgment day comes and God explores with us what we did, part of it is going to be His smile over how you assisted the church at this season of her life. But then you are responsible as a steward, and this may be the hardest of all, for your testimony. Did you know that you are a steward or a manager of your testimony. That's your story. And what are the ways that God has worked in your life to glorify Himself? That's your story. Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It's an interesting verse. He says, don't be ashamed of your testimony about the Lord. What has Jesus done in your life? Why? Are you one of those Jesus freaks? Are you one of those born-againers? Are you one of those Christians? People are watching. People are listening. What will you say? You are a steward of of your testimony. And then Paul, he says something interesting. He says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the church. Don't be ashamed of your church family. We're not the best-looking group, but we're, we're your brothers and sisters. Don't be ashamed of us. We're in this together, right? That's what he says right there. And he even says, and even if you have to suffer for bearing your testimony, go ahead and be willing to suffer because Jesus suffered for you. And then finally, he says, you're a steward of the truth, that you are stewards of the mysteries of God, and it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Listen, in your schools, your children are going to have people say there is no God. In your workplace, you're going to meet people who say there is no God. You are a steward of the truth. Are you equipped to say to the contrary, my friend? All of creation proves to us there is a God, and our God is the true God, and He has revealed Himself in His Word. Are you prepared to do that? Somebody will say to you, well, that Jesus. That Jesus was a good teacher, but that's all He was, like Confucius or Oprah Winfrey. And what will you say? Oh, my friends, Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived, but He is the Son of God. He is God the Son, incarnate, 
who died on the cross for our sins and who rose from the dead, triumphant from the grave, and he's coming again. And someone will say, oh, no, when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. What will you say? You are a steward of the mysteries of God. What will you say? Will you be the faithful manager of the truth of God and say, to the contrary, he's coming again. And it will be a great and it will be a terrible day. It's the day of judgment when all thoughts and words and actions will be reviewed by God who is just. Oh, my friends, we are stewards of our time, our talents, our treasures, our testimony, our truth. And Steve Anderson says, everything else. Everything in your life is given to you by God. And you are to manage it. He's coming again, and it will be glorious. It will be wonderful. You get to make partner. You get to the major leagues, and he will serve you and bless you at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So glad that you are there. Now, in this life, you are the manager. How is your management? How's your self-management? Have you learned you can't do it on your own? You can't do it on your own. You do it in relationship with the great steward. Have you, have you sent your RSVP back to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Have you told him, I'm, going, I'm coming to that banquet? If, you've never, if you have never RSVP'd to God through Jesus Christ, today's the day to do that. Today's the day to begin your journey with him by simply receiving Jesus, the faithful manager as your faithful king. Would you do that? And then offer him your life and let it be consecrated to him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I feel so inadequate to present you in your greatness and your glory. You who do all things well, the great distributor of food, the very bread of heaven itself, the one who governs time, you do what you will at the proper time, the one in charge of the riches of heaven, you have given lavishly to us. You have given us your truth. Your word is truth. May we guard it and steward it righteously. And on that day when you come, may we find ourselves hidden in you, we pray. We surrender. We surrender our lives, all that we know ourselves to be to you, O Lord. And we are glad that you receive us. In Jesus' name, amen.